Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Heroes Podcast Network. Hey friends, this is Cam, one of the hosts of the Gamer Heroes Podcast. We really hope you're enjoying the show you're listening to right now, and if you are, please consider becoming a patron of the Heroes Podcast Network at patreon.com slash heroespodcasts. Your support would genuinely mean the world to us, and would allow us to cover hosting costs for the website, get new equipment and software, and even make it out to different conventions and events to meet you, our loyal listeners. All Patreon tiers will get you access to the Patron Lounge and Slack, which will allow you to chat and interact with your favorite HPN hosts. On behalf of everyone here at HPN, thank you all so much for your continued support. We really couldn't do any of this without you. Hello and welcome back to Red Shirts and Runabouts, part of the Heroes Podcast Network. I'm one of your regular hosts, Greg Bosco, and with me, as always, is my very fabulous co-captain, Derek. Say hello, buddy. Hey, Greg. How's it going? It's going good. It's good to be back. I missed a week. Uh, it's hard to balance the work-life schedule sometimes. But, oh, yeah. you know, that happens, and it's it's important that we have extra, you know, our, our reserve co-hosts are sometimes superior to the regular co-hosts, and I'm okay with that. Well, so it turns out that episode didn't happen either. <laughs> so but um, it's still good to have them available just in case. <laughs> I recorded a short, I think it's like 14 minutes uh of myself talking about a couple of of news items that came up last week um and a little bit about the uh DS9 documentary what we left behind. Um Originally, we were going to do a little roundtable discussion myself with Ray and Zach, who've been on the show multiple times, to talk about the documentary, but we had some scheduling issues, so... But you at least got to see the documentary with them, and that's... I did. I am very jealous about that, because it was not available down here. Well, I can rant sometime if you would like, but I had a, a bad experience at the theater. The documentary was great. My theater experience was... Uh, quite subpar well theaters are kind of having problems like I've, I've joked with people i would pay 50 bucks to stream a movie on amazon instead of going to the theater if i could yeah i get that i definitely get that feeling i um so i'm an a-list member at amc because i see a lot of movies for our other show screen heroes and uh i think since that deal has come out and that's the one where it's it's 20 bucks a month you can see up to three movies a week in any format I think since that's come out, I've had more and more negative experiences because nobody seems to care as much as they used to. 
about going to the movies, whether it's the audience not caring because they're not as fiscally invested or it's the staff not caring because they are getting a higher influx of people and they're just burned out. I don't know. but Yeah, but I, it, it, I understand what you mean. But the good news is we're finally here to talk about season two of Discovery. Woo! And which is good because Game of Thrones ending was mediocre in my view. <laughs> so I need I need energy. I need positivity to be back on red shirts and runabouts for the week. Well, um, okay. Well, we can do that. I've I've heard about the ending of the Game of Thrones. I'm still on season four, so I'll probably never finish it. But uh, it still didn't sound like it was as bad as the way Enterprise ended. Uh, I would actually argue it was worse because <laughs> you're talking HBO and a show with essentially unlimited budget and unlimited opportunity for success. Enterprise never had that. That's for sure. That's a good point. I mean, it's, you know, this, this show had unlimited, essentially, content. They had HBO support, HBO saying, hey, we'll pay for more episodes. If you need more episodes, we'll give you more episodes. And I know the producers and the show creators were like, nah, we want to do six. At that point, if I'm HBO, I'm like, well, this is Hollywood. We can find other showrunners if mm-hmm. you want to leave. It's not that hard. Um, but, you know, it's it's okay. But now we can talk Discovery Season 2. We've been meaning to do this for a few weeks. Um, you yeah. Know, my five-second my five second feedback is Season 2 is superior to Season 1, um, except for the ending. Yeah, I think I'm with you. Um, you know, Pike... Anson Mounts, Christopher Pike, uh, quickly became and still has now stayed as one of my favorite characters in Star Trek at this point. He was just so phenomenal and surprising out of the gate. You know, I didn't know what to expect when we heard, you know, Pike's going to be involved and Spock's going to be involved. I wasn't sure how gimmicky it was going to be. And Pike is not gimmicky. He is a very strong character. Yeah, he's a strong character. He had a good screen presence. Anson Mount, you know, looked good in the uniform. He transitioned good from the Enterprise to the Discovery. They did it in a way that was relatively logical. Yeah, the Enterprise damages were kind of goofy, but at <laughs> least it felt, you know, at least there was a reason. We don't have to like the reason, but at least something happened. Yeah, that I mean, that whole thing is kind of funny. That, of course, is referring to stripping out all of the holographic technology and things in the Enterprise because... It was causing all of these bugs, and the ship was basically sidelined. Um, I mean, it's a funny way to make it match the original series a little bit closer, for what that's worth. Um, but yeah, I mean, Pike starts off the season really strong. He's a very moral and ethically powerful character. He is respectful of other people's beliefs. He's respectful of his crew's opinions. Even when his crew is pretty out of line at times he rolls with those punches in an incredibly stressful situation um yeah and you know for our listeners out there one thing i want to make sure everybody understands is derek and i aren't going to go episode by episode we're going to talk about our thoughts and feelings on season two we've already gone through all the episodes so if you want to go though if you want to hear those listen to our previous recordings um they they were a lot of fun but we're going to talk about the more holistic approach for season two and uh, you know i agree with you anson mount was a good addition rebecca romaine was a good addition um, you know, I can never remember the actor who plays Spock. You've told me like 18 times. <laughs> Ethan Peck. <laughs> Ethan Peck. I keep wanting to call him Ethan Hunt for Mission Impossible. That's why. Nice. You know, <laughs> I know people had mixed opinions on him because it's Spock. You're introducing another famous character. So that's always going to draw unwanted attention one way or the other when you bring, when you bring back a Spock type. 
but the 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 show overall still looks obviously looks good it sounds good the you know the storyline i thought was i mean it was definitely interesting in its own way i mean the the red angel thing they kind of i thought they were going to play a little bit more up on the religion or Mm. a little bit more up on the aliens alienness than what we encountered that's not necessarily a bad thing but I mean, maybe we should kind of give a... We talked about Pike, but what are your thoughts on the overall story? Because this was basically one episode for for the entire season. Yeah, um, I mean, the, the concept of the Red Angel and the Seven Signals I thought was interesting. Um, I, I, I like the early episodes, I think, more so than the later episodes in this season because they felt more... more kind of focused, right? You had, um, you know, particular stories. They were a little more episodic. I know they weren't, they were still serialized in in a lot of ways, but you know, they dealt, you're right. They dealt a lot with spirituality and beliefs and the unknown and things that Star Trek has grappled with in the past. Sometimes the peak of Star Trek, uh, like DS9, for example, you know, DS9 has been kind of quickly summed up as the, the the spiritual religious star trek right because you have um you know the prophets and um all that type of stuff but um with with disco i i felt like they had this really interesting idea of the seven signals and then things just kind of ramped up more and more as the season progressed and the the best comparison i can think of and it's pro- people are probably not going to like it is it kind of ramped up like the fast and furious franchise did right where like if you think back to the first fast and furious movie they're trying to steal a truck full of like tv vcr combos and then <laughs> yep. in in six they're dragging a bank vault around a city in seven they're jumping cars between skyscrapers right uh, I swear in 10, they're going to be in outer space somehow. And um, this season of Disco kind of felt like that, where it was it felt more grounded early on, where we had the Hiawatha, and we then had you know the, the Earth Village, and these were kind of smaller contained stories. But once Control got involved, and it, it started to seem more like we were going to find out that Michael Burnham was the Red Angel, and... <laughs> Uh, it just kind of started to to go off the rails for me. No, I agree with you. And, and there was actually a few scenes in this on this season where, you know, they were going out of their way to identify the hero pretty reliably. And whether whoever the Red Angel is, they're like, all right, this person's obviously a hero, blah, 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 which is fine. But I, I actually remember a couple scenes where the characters actually made comments like, oh, we're so lucky to have, you know, Michael on the bridge. And I remember thinking, I was like, well, that's kind of an unusual statement. It's like, people don't talk that way. It's not in Starfleet, because Starfleet's always kind of treated itself as more of a team instead of an individual, like recognizing individuals. And the perfect example is, you know, Data, you know, when, you know, he's, when they're, he's on trial basically for his life and they're reading out all his accolades and accommodations, you know, Starfleet Medal of Valor or whatever, he's got more awards than everybody in Starfleet and he's still like a lieutenant commander. Because Starfleet's <laughs> always been clear that it's not about the individual, it's about the group. Mm-hmm. And this this season kind of felt more like it was about the individual because of the aspect of the Red Angel. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. once you introduce that, it's hard, you can't backtrack it. It's It'd be extremely difficult for them to undo any of their story elements because it's all tied to the one thing. 
Yeah, I think you're right about that. I think that everything everything kind of revolved around Burnham in season one. And now everything revolved around Spock in season two. So it seems like the kind of the main goal is to pick a, a character and have the general story kind of revolve around them. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. It is just different for Trek. We're so used to the captain being the lead. And then you'd have each week you'd have a different, you know, A and B, maybe a C story. But at the end of the day, it was the captain's show. And this is not the case here, you know, with um, having multiple captains at this point. You know, we've had three plus an acting captain in Saru um, on on Discovery at this point. So season three, you know, uh, who knows what that's going to hold. I, I don't imagine they would change the formula too much. But, um, I mean, I, I think I think this season of Discovery was at its best when it wasn't focusing on the larger arc of the red angel and of control like when it was focusing more on the individual characters like saving spock and getting his brain worked out you know and if memory serves when they go to talos 4 that episode is freaking cool and seeing the talosians was super cool um it it just kind of was a nice way to connect it to the rest of the universe and it was a smaller story you know, I think the problem was the story got literally universe ending, galaxy ending. Um, and that's when you ratchet it up to that level, it, it tends to kind of never meet those expectations. Well, it's again, another example where the characters are constantly reacting to what's going on around them mm-hmm. because it is so significant. It is so war or galaxy ending. It's a galaxy wide villain. And, you know, you got control, which obviously rubbed everybody the wrong way anyways simply because the whole evil ai thing is just it's a sci-fi trope mm-hmm. and not many people take it seriously anymore because it's been in uh you know it's been in terminator and the matrix and all this other stuff and battlestar galactica and so evil ai isn't as creative anymore as maybe it was 10 years ago and especially when they started trying to give it like a borg feeling with the voice and every Star Trek fan in the universe, in the world, groaned. They're like, oh, here we go. They're going to retcon the Borg, and then everybody's going to be even more upset. And obviously, they didn't, we don't think. But, yeah, I mean, the overall story, it was... I agree with you. I prefer the smaller Star Trek stories. We already got the, the long episodic arcs with the Dominion War and the, uh, the, the, uh, the Zindi conflict in Enterprise and stuff in Voyager. I mean, you know, I thought this was going to be an epi- a series, like a season about exploration. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we really got that. I mean, they explored, but not not to the level I thought they were. They were. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We're alluding to with the previews. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Um, I, I think that like having long arcs can work, right? I thought the Zindi War was very interesting. And I thought that the Dominion War, of course, was really interesting in DS9. But it was a slow burn. 
in DS9. You know, they start laying the seeds of the Dominion in, in season one, and season two ends with the Gem Hadar, and they slowly have these seeds until you get to the end of the show and the climax of the series is this massive, you know, nine episode arc and we're ready for it. Um, but even then, like it's a war that's not all life known to exist will cease kind of thing from our own creation. It is very tropey. Um, and so I don't want to harp too much on the negative stuff here because there's actually a lot I loved about this season. I I think my problems were really, I didn't like control. I didn't, I didn't think it was a good plot device. I didn't think it was a good story. Um, and I thought that it, it interfered with too much of what they could have been doing. Cause you, you know, they, it took away from time we could have had between Burnham and Spock or time we could have had on Cam- uh, more time uh, on Camomar with the Camomar with the, um, with the Kelpians more, more time with, you know, Emperor Giorgio, more time with Pike, more time with number one, you know, uh, I, I kind of talked about this when we discussed the finale, but we still never, you know, not quite really got her name. I guess it's Una, which fine, but you know, most people missed it. I missed it. Um, I would have liked to have seen more character focused stuff. Paul, St- uh, you know, Paul Stamets and uh, Colbert, you know, what, what was going on with them? You spent all this effort, all this time to bring Colbert back and their relationship as important as it should be was sidelined most of the time. Well, no, and and I agree with you about not harping too much on the negative, but it's I think it's important to, you know, recognize they were talking about control and Section Thirty One had control, and they were using it during the war and all this stuff with the Klingons. And so I'm that guy. I'm like, wait a second, we barely held the Klingons off with control, so now control before it even finds the spear, the 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 sphere itself is like is already a huge threat. And I'm like, the Klingon War was only like seven months ago, people. <laughs> so Control's only had seven months to really come up with all this and become this galaxy-wide future threat of some kind. And it's, yeah, it's just, and then, you know, you think about what happened, how they ended it. and But, you know, here's, you know, I've always been the, the advocate on this show. I The thing I harp on the most is I love character-driven stories. And I like kind of spreading the wealth like Next Generation did and Voyager did a lot. With mm-hmm. you never knew who the main character on an episode of Voyager was going to be, you know they did episodes on Neelix, they did episodes on Cass, they did episodes on Chakotay. With with uh, Discovery, we're not really we kind of get that a little bit with like you know Kaminar and all that now and then, but really it's kind of the same trend every episode, which I think is why it felt so repetitive to me. You know we're going to find the Red Angel that's connected to Burnham, so Burnham's got to do a thing, and then you know. Giorgio's got to do a thing, and then Stamets is going to do a thing. It kind of just felt just they got into that cycle where they kind of got trapped by their own story sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, we have these side characters that I really want to know more about, like Owosakun and Detmer, and, you know, I guess we can't anymore, but Arium back, you know, before uh, her character died. Um, these characters have been on the sideline. And they got little nuggets throughout this season. Um, you know, Arium, of course, was a setup just so they could kill her off, which is unfortunate. But um, you're right. I want to know these characters better. I want. I don't want to just see our characters do stuff because that's also been really what it is. The characters we get a lot from are really just a lot of the time doing things. I would have loved to have seen more 
of the relationship building of Col- Colbert and Stamets working things out or Col- or Colbert maybe in therapy of some kind. You know, we we have one scene, one scene where he's in therapy and it's a very short scene where, you know, it, his issues are not dismissed. That's not the right way to say it, but more of just like, well, no one's ever been through this before. So good luck. You know, I would have liked to have seen more diving into that because at the end of the day, the whole exploring strange new worlds, while it can be literal, it doesn't have to be literal. It can be figurative too. And we can explore new frontiers that are not physically moving in space. So Colbert went through this thing that no human's ever been through before, that no known humanoid has ever been through before. Let's focus on that. Let's talk about that. Let's analyze it more. Let's spend more time helping him work through those issues. That's a frontier too. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's, you know, it's like what George R. R. Martin says about Game of Thrones. There's my Game of Thrones reference for the days. You know, his story is about, the, you know, the exploration and such of the human heart and mind. And, you know, we kind of get that a little bit with Discovery. But the story being what they chose to show really limits their options. Because they can't, you know, the galaxy-wide thread that's growing every episode, they can't afford to spend time on... Hey, we found a homeworld of the Tribbles. Let's go look at it. They can't do that because <laughs> right. they've they've already identified early on that whatever the hell is happening is a huge threat to the galaxy. So they can't afford to take a minute off or to stop and do something or to stop and smell the proverbial, the proverbial risen roses. They have to constantly react and respond to this threat that the audience has a hard time connecting with just because it, it felt so tropey mm-hmm. and... You know the the acting and the actresses did fine. I, there's no, I got no concern with that. Uh, I thought the dialogue was usually pretty good. I wish we had more of it, like you said, between Stamets and Culber. I wish we had more Saru, and you know Saru better be the captain in season three. Oh man! I mean, if anybody's earned it, it's him. So I mean, let's talk about that for a moment. Um, so Doug Jones, who plays Saru, anyone who listens to this show knows I freaking love him. Um, the actor and the character. And I think he's wonderful. And before we knew Pike and before we knew Anson Mount's, you know, version of Pike, I was a little burned that they weren't going to let Saru be captain in season two, because we've never had a lead ship have an alien captain. It's never been done. It's always been a human in all of our ships that we focus on. So I thought it would have been cool to not have that, to have it be an alien and one that's had a really interesting arc. Um, but then you know, obviously it doesn't happen. So now the ship's a thousand years in the future. We'll worry about that later, but you know, you've got Burnham and you've got Saru. Well, Burnham's the lead on the show. So making her captain makes sense from a storytelling perspective, but it doesn't make sense to a character perspective because Saru was her commanding officer. You know, she reported to him. Um, I don't know why she would skip jump to becoming captain just because she flew the red angel suit. And she only flew the red angel suit because it was her mother's. Right. Exactly. And and again, that whole trope that we already talked about how you're a perfect match. It's like, well, daughters are not a perfect match for the mother, but whatever that's star Trek hand wave. Maybe they got some genetic technology or something to make the suit tolerate her more. But yeah, I don't see her jumping Saru. And honestly, I hope nobody does. It should either be Saru or, you know, I don't want them to bring in a third captain and do something goofy like a young James T. Kirk or something on the Discovery. I'm like, wait, 
stop, don't do this. Just let it be Saru. Well, now they're in the future, so their their yeah, options oh, yeah, are either the characters they brought with them, which include Emperor Giorgio, by the way, um, or they have to bring in somebody from the outside. So either someone from that, the 32nd century Federation, I guess, um, which also is kind of an odd concept because why, like, wh- I don't know, why would they be interested in a 1,000-year-old ship and people that are 1,000 years out of date? I, I don't know. Of course, maybe they'll interact with the the temporal fleet, you know, that we saw in Voyager quite a bit um, and a little bit in Enterprise. You know, maybe that'll be something. You know, Daniels will show up and uh, want to correct the timeline. Um, but, you know, it, it does seem kind of weird to get into this pattern of we get a new captain every year because you're going to start running out of good reasons to do that without it looking silly. Well, it's going to become like cursed. Like right, naval ships, right. if you get a new captain every year, they're going to think, all right, wait a second. This is like the cursed, this is like the, the defense against the dark arts professor position of Hogwarts. You got a new one every year because Voldemort, you know, cursed the damn position because he never got it. You know, as Tom Riddle. And it's like, it's going to be the cursed captain seat of Discovery. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's the case. Um, you know, but there were some really great things about this season. Um, and I think Saru's is a good place to start. His story was really fascinating. I mean, we've seen his character completely change, completely evolve. His relationship with his sister was really cool. Getting to see him free his people and learn that they're the predator species originally is really interesting um i would have liked to have, have seen more of that but seeing saru when we met him at the beginning of season one and how timid he was and how much he second guessed any type of aggressive action or risky action and now to see him you know command a ship in what should have been an unwinnable battle against all you know all odds and doing so quickly and steady and confidently it was super cool no i agree with you and i thought the show looked good and sounded good and saru i liked how they did his planet i thought the planet looked good and i thought the planet felt real i even kind of liked the story because the story it felt like something that have like they've talked about in sci-fi where you have two species kind of what's uh what's it called like co like a co-evolving and the species either wipe each other out or they learn to live in balance or one becomes dominant one doesn't and in this case they kind of flip-flopped which is Mm -hmm. definitely kind of neat you like kind of an interesting tale especially because the other species it turns out was terrified of the old school kelpians and that's something i don't think anybody really saw they all everybody everybody thought the kelpians were just you know I'm just a weak species. Obviously, not physically weak because we've seen what Saru can do. Mm-hmm. But so, yeah, I enjoyed the arc. I enjoyed Saru. I enjoyed him getting with, you know, encountering his sister again. That's that's good. That's what we want with our characters. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we, we got a, f- a few good character, you know, moments as well from, from other people. The the Colbert story arc was very interesting. Um while I'm not thrilled with how they brought him back, because I thought that episode was kind of nuts, I do like the journey he had to take and how angry he was and how different he felt. Because, you know, from his perspective, he's essentially a different person and he doesn't have the same feelings that the other incarnation of him did. Uh, it's It's something that I think... 
was really touching towards the end of the season when, you know, he was going to leave. He was going to go to the Enterprise. And that had kind of fueled some of my speculation that we would see more of the Enterprise in the future because you'd have some crossover characters and maybe they were, you know, edging for a spinoff. Of course, that's, that's not really what happened here. But seeing him struggle with seeing Stamets and knowing that this isn't really working for him and he was just going to leave, I thought was really an, an interesting character decision and then they have him kind of go back on that and you know kind of push through it um you know and that's mainly because of Tignataro and it was just an interesting dynamic seeing the two of them kind of go off of each other and then that kind of pushed Colbert to come back to Stamets it was a really emotional scene um I don't know did you how did you feel about that because in some ways I felt like Colbert's reversal at the end while it was really nice and I'm glad we'll have him next season i felt like the way it happened was a little forced well it was definitely forced i actually preferred his initial reaction of kind of fear in when he's talking you know to statements when he's like i'm not who i was anymore you don't understand what i went through and what i experienced and i can't turn i can't exactly be the way i was you know six eight nine months ago or whatever because he's changed he's different because that's what happens to people they change and they grow and hell we're not even talking about growing because he stubbed his toe he died Mm -hmm. and was brought back in a very unnatural manner living in a horrible environment with ongoing ptsd so he they had so many things they could explore and i i hate to say it because i love both actors it felt like the decision at the end was for fan service yeah it wasn't for the plot. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It wasn't for the story. It was for fan service. And you remember for seven years of Next Generation, they teased Riker and Troy. And who does Riker, who does Troy end up with in season seven? Worf. Nobody saw that coming. There was even an awkward scene where Riker asks her out for dinner and Worf is there and she's like, I, excuse me, we have plans. You know, that is how to subvert expectations. This wasn't that. This was literally like, well, everybody likes Stamets and Culber, so Culber's changed his mind. Well, and it's a little confusing because I think the whole reason they brought him back to life was because the fans loved Wilson Cruz's character so much and loved the relationship between Colbert and Stamets. So if that is true, if they really brought him back with that intention, um, why create this really complicated rift that you didn't have to? Or if you did have to, why did you solve it so quickly? I don't know. I mean, maybe we'll get more of that in season three. Maybe we'll see that it isn't all happy hunky-dory and that Colbert is taking a chance 
on the difficult road to try and repair things, and we'll get to see that. That's a possibility. Um, at least that's what I would like to see. I would prefer that instead of uh, instead of Culver just having a switch of heart at the very last second because Stamets has a boo-boo. I mean, don't get me wrong. Stamets was jacked up. I mean, he was legitimately injured. But uh, this is Discovery. They've got, they're like at perpetual risk of death on every single episode at this point. Nobody ever dies. I mean, aside from, you know, one. And yeah, it's, I just, I think they could have done a better, better job with that story, with that romance and the, in the, in the relationship. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to make a comparison to Orville. It's, you know, Ed Mercer and Kelly, despite their breakup and that starting the whole series, and they keep constantly teasing the two of them for two years. Nothing ever really happens. They just constantly tease it. Mm-hmm. And even though, even if there's mutual respect and attraction, it, it nothing happens. And they could have done something like that where Culver could have just legitimately said, yeah, I love you. I'll always love you. But you have to understand, Paul, I'm, I'm a different man right now. I can't be in a relationship and end it sad i mean there's nothing wrong with a sad ending sometimes if it makes sense and this would have made sense a lot more sense than him doing a complete emotional 180 literally on the last 10 minutes yeah i think that that's fair i mean you bring up some good points about that i mean we'll have to kind of see what season three does with those two now that they are together and they're going to be stuck on the ship together um but uh of course we have lots of other characters around uh Giorgio, is still with us. So this is of course, Emperor Giorgio and she's, you know, working in section 31 and she wants Leland out anyway, even if he doesn't become control, uh, which is just kind of convenient for her. So now she's on the ship though. She stayed on discovery to jump a thousand years in the future. So kind of playing devil's advocate here a little bit. Should she be captain? I mean, she's probably got more combat and knowledge experience to survive in a different timeline than anybody else on that ship. Especially because who the hell we don't know what the hell the Federation's like in the thirty first century, or thirty first century on in the thirty yeah. second, yeah, thirty second century. What if the like I said before, the Federation's gone, the Borg are everywhere, and all that's left <laughs> is a bunch of crazy Riker clones, and <laughs> and you know, and so Giorgio might be the most logical cat. The, you know, response. And I'll I'll admit, I think it's because they heard the fans talk about how much they like that actress and how well she does on screen and in Star Trek in a Starfleet uniform. And she did great as in section 31. I actually thought she was pretty awesome. Yeah. Michelle's just phenomenal. Um, And I think a lot of us were really bummed out when they killed off Giorgio, Captain Giorgio so early in season one. Cause I, man, I would just love to watch that show. Um, But no, now that we have Emperor Giorgio, you know, she's ran an entire empire. She's ruthless. She's highly intelligent. She's, you know, physically powerful. She's cunning. And um, as far as qualifications go, I feel like maybe she is the most qualified to be captain at that point. And, you know, her mission is to protect and save humanity. Right. I mean, that's that's what her mission is. She may go about it in really horrible, terrible ways. But yeah, a thousand years in the future, there may not be a Federation. The Federation may be different. They might be the bad guys now. You know, maybe they've become, you know, too, you know, 
uh, dictatorship styled and they're oppressive and they're conquering other civilizations. Um, there's just, there's so many unknowns that I think having her as captain, she'd be able to handle it better. I think you're right because, you know, Burnham is so logical and, and, and scientific in her thinking that she, she needs the empirical evidence to help support her processes. Saru is still learning about who he's becoming. He's still, you know, changing into what a fully grown Kelpian is going to be. And Georgiou has been leading an empire and now taken out of that universe into another one and has quickly positioned herself to be like the number two, number three person in section 31. So yeah, I mean, I wouldn't mind her being captain. Yeah. And I know, you know, the Terran empire is obviously very evil, but her, her attitude has shifted to Federation first. She's not mistreating the aliens on discovery that we've seen. I mean, she makes a snide comment now and then, but you know, the the human characters on the ship are making snide comments. Hell, mm-hmm. Culber and Tyler got into a fist fight. So right. I'm not worried about somebody throwing insults when somebody's throwing actual punches. And she was obviously through her action has shown she's willing to risk herself for her crew. At least mm-hmm. the crewmates around her. I mean, when her and Commander Nan got into a fight with Control, that was pretty cool. And she, you know, Commander Nan couldn't keep up, but it's because Giorgio is an emperor who would insane combat skills and controls an AI and commander non was doing her best, but Giorgio was still looking out for her the entire time. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, emperor Giorgio is a survivor, right? She adapts quickly. She adapts powerfully. And I think that's what you would need in this scenario because jumping a thousand years into the future can't be all that different from switching between parallel universes from, you know, a context standpoint, knowing what's going on, knowing what to do. Um, so I think that could be kind of cool to see to see that. Um, now, we don't really know the whole crew that stayed on board. You know, we never really got to know the chief engineer, for example, or the chief medical officer. We've seen a couple different doctors, um, but we don't really know if, who's the CMO. We don't know who's the chief engineer. Um, you know, maybe this is the time where our characters move up to those roles. Maybe a lot of those people left and stayed on Enterprise. And Stamets is now the ranking engineer. Um, we may see that happen in season three. Yeah, I mean, if they stay in the timeline where they're going, there's a lot of opportunities for new characters to be introduced. I don't know if we'll see them engage with all of Starfleet or something. I think it'd be kind of cheesy. If they're just like, welcome home, Discovery. We knew you'd be here. And you're like, oh, great, here we go. It's the temporal <laughs> police are just screwing everything up. But I just, they got opportunities to start introducing some of the other crew and really starting to emphasize them. Because that's something that Star Trek historically has always done. And Discovery has really been kind of focusing on Michael Burnham first, which I get. I understand. She's the main character. But, you know, if you ask somebody outside of the original series, who's the main character on Next Generation? You know, some people might say Picard, but then there's like a 20 episode streak where it's Data or Worf. Or, I mean, there's so many characters on the other shows that are emphasized all the time that you and I can easily name the command crews from basically all the other ships. Mm-hmm. It's so much more difficult with Discovery because we don't get to know the characters as much. And that's unfortunate, I think. Yeah. I mean, this does give them an opportunity maybe to focus at a little bit more um, because they're not going to have a bunch of other people to go talk to, I would imagine. Because, like, what, let's let's put some things in context here. So 
the timeline that they're in now lacks Romulus. Romulus has been destroyed because this is the prime timeline and we know that Romulus is destroyed when future Spock goes back in time for the Kelvin universe to be created or to be shown that is. Um, so there's no Romulus. The Klingon Empire has been known to get more aggressive in alternate futures. They may have gone to war again with the Federation. Um, but think about the time jump here. So from our time to next generations, like 300 years, that's it. And think about how crazy things have changed in that time. We went from you know, combustion, gasoline, cars, and fax machines to warp 9.8 replicator technology um you take that jump and you jump ahead from tng's era 800 years 900 years what's the universe going to be like what are ships like you know you have the enterprise j in that episode of enterprise you know it's a universe class ship you know it's absolutely massive when you see it to scale with the other ones you know have we mapped the entire galaxy? What happened with the Delta Quadrant? What happened with the Gamma Quadrant? Um, there's so many places they could go. And the Spore Drive, I guess, still works. So they could hop around wherever because they kept using it last season. Um, so they they have a ship that can travel wherever they want in a future that can be whatever they want. And I, it just it opens up so many doors. I have no idea what they might do with it at this point. Other than feeling like at some point they have to send these people back. There has to be a, a, a bringing back because um, the ship has to be abandoned at some point. Giorgio is getting her Section 31 show, for example. Um, I, just, I feel like they have to come back at some point. Well, that's and that's kind of the issue that you know Season 2 leads into. is When Season 1 ended, and you and I talked about this a few episodes ago, we were legitimately interested in what season two was going to offer. I don't have that same drive moving into season three that I did having moving when I was moving into season two last year where I was really interested and I was curious about all the ships and all the people they were going to start adding. And granted, you know, they have eight months or whatever until season three even airs, but it's still, I just don't have that same interest in three. I'll still watch it, of course, but it's, you know, when we were all, everybody was joking about, you know, we want a Star Trek in the future. We weren't talking like 3100s. <laughs> we, were, we were talking like 2510, like 30 years after the Dominion War to see what the impacts were. And I guess we're kind of getting that with Picard. But, you know, that's going to be, like they said, a smaller show, a smaller scale show, of course. Discovery is, of, uh, if anything, Discovery is not a small scale show. I will give them that. That is for sure. Um, and you know, let's, there's a few things I want to put in context here because Alex Kurtzman, who's the showrunner here on discovery, I think he's done a good job considering, you know, but they've been, he's been framing and and that, you know, this jump to the future now finally frees them from Canon. And that kind of rubs me the wrong way because they're the ones who picked the time frame for the show. It wasn't like they reached out to you or me and said, Hey, Greg, when should the new show take place? And you told them 10 years before the original series. And they're like, well, that kind of sucks, but okay. No, they picked that time on purpose. They did that. 
And now they want to say, well, now we're free from canon. Like somehow they did us some big favor when they're the ones who painted themselves into the corner to begin with. Um, It's a little weird. It's a little strange. I agree that freeing yourself from canon is the smart thing to do. It gives you more flexibility as a writer. It gives you more creative freedom. It gives you fewer arguments from fans because none of us can really complain if something is inconsistent, if there's nothing for it to be consistent with. And the Picard show, you know, is, is not that far out, right? It's, it's just after, um, the destruction of Romulus. And so there's a lot of cool political, cultural stuff that they can focus on that we're still familiar with, but we don't know what happens. You know, when Romulus was destroyed, what really happens to all the remaining Romulans who were not on the planet? You know, what happens to the Klingon Empire? What, what's, what about Vulcan? We had all the unification stuff in TNG. Do the Vulcans welcome the Romulans, quote, home, so to speak? Does the Klingon Empire take this as an opportunity to take over Romulan space? Um, you know, there's a lot of interesting stuff that they can focus on in the Picard show. And they could have done Discovery in that time frame, too, with Picard being small scale and, and character focus and Discovery being more larger scale action packed. Um, the thousand year jump kind of disconnects it from everything where, I mean, it could literally be, be just be whatever they want at this point. Yeah. And maybe that's what they want, but it does. If there is any sort of galaxy, like galaxy threat of any kind that, which is kind of discoveries MO over the past two seasons, the discovery is so hopelessly outclassed that without, extreme intervention by their 31st century 32nd century colleagues you know they're just a drop in the bucket and they don't know the locate they don't know the galaxy they don't know the history up to that point they don't know the technology they are literal fish out of water which is good for a story if you're telling an origin story but we already had an origin story for discovery we don't need a second one and it's yeah it's why people complained about the Spider-Man reboot of the reboot. Even though the new ones are good, people still kind of groan because they're like another reboot of Spider-Man. And it's not that they don't like Spider-Man. It's just like another reboot. And this, mm-hmm. is, the thir- this is the third season where they're essentially starting over. Yeah. Um, and they're going to have to sell me. And, and I, it sounds like you too on this, on this premise because you're right. You know, if, if, the, if Pike's Enterprise is completely outclassed by Picard's Enterprise, then what the hell kind of ship do you have eight, nine hundred years later? You yeah, know, I mean, you basically don't. <laughs> right. And, right. I mean, remember, even in yesterday's Enterprise, the Enterprise C, they even said the Enterprise D massively outgunned the Enterprise C, and it was only like 25 years. Right. And Absolutely. the Defiant was a huge jump. And, you know, the, uh, the Thunderchild class and the Steamrunner class and all these ships that they hired that they designed to fight the Borg were supreme combat ships that dominated. You know, they fought off Borg cubes in less than ten years. So who the hell knows what the galaxy is going to be like, especially with a thousand year jump? Well, maybe there are no ships. Maybe we've we've progressed so far technologically that we can just beam to any planet we want anywhere in the galaxy. So Discovery is the only ship and therefore is the most powerful ship? I mean, it's just a thought, <laughs> right? I mean, maybe, maybe it's not even that it's the most powerful ship. It's just it's the ship. There aren't any other ships anymore. And so they don't come across anybody for a really long time because nobody's out there. Everybody's on planets now. 
and you want to go visit another planet, just hop on the interstellar transporter. You know, oh, you need to send cargo? Well, we'll just use the interstellar cargo transporter, right? Um, that type of leap in technology, I mean, it's a thousand years. Who are we to say that that's not possible in the Star Trek universe? Look, Derek, um, this is Star Trek, not Planet Trek. <laughs> I mean, look, maybe they'll start doing like building a Dyson sphere. You know, we'll get a throwback to relics and they'll build a Dyson sphere. And that's what the Federation's putting all of their money into. And Discovery comes along and is like, what the hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> Except they're building it around Seoul and they're going to block off Earth from the sun. And they're like, oh, shit, we, didn't really, we really didn't think this one through, did we? I mean, you could do some some crazy stuff. You could have the Preservers show up or the Iconians could show up. And, you know, they're supposed to be technologically incredible. So, you know the sphere builders that kind of thing yeah the sphere um, something they could they could have fun if they do it well but there's also the potential for it to be a huge cheese fest mm-hmm, and i mm-hmm. think that's that's kind of why i think season two run me the wrong way is because things had to happen in order for the story to continue and when that starts to occur the element of risk is gone and we already talked about the element of risk with the characters and combat and fatalities early on on our, you know, season two discuss- episode discussion. And, you know, they they already kept kind of alluding to the fact that the Red Angel is going to save everybody. And it kept getting reinforced over and over and over again. And so at that point, the threat isn't as bad as we thought. And hell, they even killed Control before they went into the damn time wormhole. Mm-hmm. So, which I guess defeats the purpose for them going in the future. I don't know. It's uh, <laughs> it, Like I said, the ending of season two did not endear me to the hope for what season three could be. That's fair. So, okay. So let's do this. We're at the 45 minute mark. What are your top three favorite things from season two, whether it's a story arc, a character, a a vessel, whatever. Um, I have to say Captain Pike. Um, I thought Anson Mount did phenomenal. I like the early. Hmm. I liked how they, I like the Section 31 ships. I thought there was a little weird at the end when there was like 40 of them. But I kind of like it grew on me that Section 31 had these cool ships and they were kind of stealthy. And because even modern militaries use a combination of spy ships now and then. And so Mm -hmm. I kind of like that. I thought that was kind of neat. I thought they looked cool. Uh, Their command structure is still bizarre and weird to me. But then control happens, which kind of takes away from some things. I do like how they did kind of reference the Klingon War multiple times. And how we're finally seeing, because we never really see the impact of the Borg invasions. We never really see the impact of the Dominion War. But at least on Discovery Season 2, they referenced the Klingon War multiple times, showing that it's still fresh in their mind. I did. I like that a lot. So those would probably be my three things. Okay. Well, that's pretty good. Um, so Pike is on my list, but something specific for Pike. Um, and this is probably my number one anyway. When he learns about his fate, when he grabs the time crystal and he sees his future, he sees his injury, and we as, a, as an audience finally get to see it because we've only been told that it was a training accident. We never really got to see it. Th- for him to see that, to take the crystal and to move forward, knowing what's ahead for him, solidified him as a character for me, as somebody who was completely determined to do the right thing, no matter the cost to himself. And that says a lot 
I, I'm not saying that our other captains would not have done that. I'm not saying that, but it, it might be the only time anyone has had to, you know, because even when Janeway had to make tough decisions, they could time travel their way out of it. Or when Cisco had to make tough decisions, you know, the profits could get involved. Um, you know, Archer had some tough moments. Archer had to do some dark things. You know, stealing parts from civilian vessels to keep the ship going during the Zindi War and stuff like that. But he never knew what the future was going to bring. Pike knew and still was able to move forward. And so that's that's up there for me. Um, number two, I, I think I think it actually might be the Talosians. Because in in that episode, um, in uh, of course I'm drawing a blank, if memory serves that did such a great job. They've already brought in Pike, but now they've solidified the cage, the original pilot of Star Trek. They have legitimized it in a way that even the menagerie wasn't able to fully do. They went out and said, this is a real planet. Here's what these guys look like. Here's how powerful their minds are. Um, You know, all of these things really happen. And that was super amazing to see that legitimizing and acceptance of the cage uh for my third one you know, it gets a little bit tougher i suppose and this one might might change if i had to think about it much longer but i'm just gonna say the enterprise um you know the enterprise has had a lot of designs over the years depending on which letter is at the end of it and the original had a couple of different refits and design changes um, even between the pilots and this Enterprise was an absolutely gorgeous and detailed update to an old model. You know, the Kelvin timeline ship is completely different. You know, obviously it still looks like the Enterprise, but it's massive in size and the cells are huge. It's a very different ship. This ship, Pike's ship, looks looks like the Enterprise. Looks like the TOS Enterprise, but done in HD. And getting to see that bridge set the the beautiful modernized HD TOS bridge is still probably my favorite shot in Discovery at this point. It's just so beautifully done. Whoever designed it, whoever built it, whatever, you guys killed it. And I will be really sad if we never get to see that again you know in in the form of not maybe not the enterprise but in the form of another constitution class ship something that that design deserves to be used so there's mine i think those are three very good options or very good observations i i applaud you on all of your choices (laughs) well thank you um you know honorable mention though does go to burnham and spock's relationship i felt like as their characters grew closer together as the season progressed, it was super cool. Their conversations were great. The way they would mentally spar with each other was just really fun to watch. And uh, I'm a little bummed we won't get more of that. Yeah, me too. And especially going into season three, we're going to have a much reduced cast, a much reduced crew, uh, the different environments. So we'll, we'll see how creative they get, but... You know, it's an honorable mention. That's a good honorable mention. I think my honorable mention might be stealing one of yours, the Talosians. Just because I like <laughs> I like that overall plot. I like the planet. I like the aliens. I thought yeah. it was a good homage to old school Star Trek. Agreed. Um, so, okay. So as we wrap up here, I'm curious. Did you see any of the 
behind the scenes photos from the Picard series. Did you get a I've chance to see those? I've seen some and I saw the little 20 second clip that's out there. And I don't know. I mean, it looks from what we've seen, it looks like Star Trek, but Patrick Stewart still looks great, but you know, it's uh I'm curious to see what we're going to see when the actual promos start happening. Yeah, I, I talked a bit about it last week by myself, uh, so I'm not going to repeat anything there. But I was just curious if you had any thoughts, if you had had a chance to see it. So, No, I mean, I saw the clip when the the one ensign or whatever is asking for Picard's name, and Picard gives him a look. And I'm like, this is John Luke Picard, as Q would say. <laughs> are you kidding? Or Gene Luck Picard? Like, are you kidding? Everybody knows who this man is. The Romulans know who this man is. The Klingons know who this man is. But you know. Well, that that guy's clearly like a cadet, you know. Oh, it's probably there's probably Star Trek or USS Enterprise 101 is like the first course in any basic Federation history class. <laughs> that's a that's a fair point. Maybe Picard's teaching it. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Maybe he's an instructor. We'll see. Cool. All right. Well, anything else? Nope. I think this is a good spot for us to end. End on a positive note as we look forward to the future of the Picard show. So, as always, everybody, this is Red Shirts and Runabouts. We're part of the Heroes Podcast Network. You can track us down online. Use that search engine because we're on basically all of the podcast apps you can find out there. You know, iTunes, Overcast, we're even on Spotify now, Google Play. Just type in Red Shirts and Runabouts into your search engine, whichever your search engine is. You know, Alta Vista. Go back to 1996 and see if you can still find (laughs) us since we're talking time travel and such. But, you know, if so, again, that's how you can track us down. But, Derek, if somebody wants to talk to you, where can they find you? So you can find me at the Star Trek Dude on Twitter and Facebook. You can also find me on our sibling show, Screen Heroes. Uh, it's kind of just a movie podcast. We do a lot of superhero stuff, and we do some retro reviews, fan castings, movie pitches, that kind of thing. And you can find me on Twitter at the underscore bittersteel. And we look forward to talking to all of our fans and friends out there. Take your feedback and your commentary so we can continue improving the show. But that's going to be all for Star Trek Season 2. We'll be back again next week as we start diving into some additional topics. We're still working on a list here of uh, fun things to discuss that's all Star Trek related. So until then, take care of yourself and each other. Red Shirts and Runabouts is part of the Heroes Podcast Network and is hosted by Gregory Bosco and me, Derek Mayer. The music is by Flying Killer Robots. Please follow us at Red Shirts Pod on Twitter or at Heroes Podcasts on Facebook, Instagram, or HeroesPodcast.com. You can subscribe to our show on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spreaker, and pretty much any other podcast app. If you enjoy the show, please support us. We have a Patreon at patreon.com slash heroes podcasts, and we also have a coffee, ko-fi.com slash heroes podcasts. We'll catch you next time. Live long and prosper.